about a week before the hockey world commemorated the 30-year anniversary of the Wayne Gretzky trade to Los Angeles. Yes, it's been that long. The NHL witnessed another trade that a lot of people probably didn't see coming. It gets dissected in our main topic. Plus, two Western Conference foes make some waves with key signings. The Detroit Red Wings locked in a top six forward on a long-term deal. And we delve into lots more arbitration drama. Episode 134 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. First off, uh, it's been a while. Uh, Brett and I have uh, both been very busy this summer. Both of us went on a lengthy vacation. Hopefully you've done the same. Uh, Hope the summer has been very kind to you and your family. With all that being said, hockey season is just around the corner. Um, We're going to get into the season previews in about a month's time. Uh, Soon we're going to be talking about the top 20 players at each position. But today we're going to be talking about hockey signings. But before we do that, like we do every week, we are going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame Book of Trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Uh, yeah, I guess so, more than ever. All right, here goes everything. Question 23 is where we're at this week, and it is as follows. Which defenseman holds the NHL record for most points in his rookie season? Is it A, Ray Bork of the Boston Bruins, your Boston Bruins, uh, B, Gary Suter of the Calgary Flames. C, Larry Murphy of the LA Kings. Or D, Brian Leach of the New York Rangers, who later played for the Bruins. Wait, what was the question again? Uh, which defenseman holds the NHL record for most points in his rookie campaign? Oh. Um... It's either I'm thinking it's either Leach or Bork. Um, uh, I'm gonna go. I feel like I wouldn't live this down if if it was if it is Bork and I didn't get it correct. So I'm gonna go with Bork. Well, you went with your gut, and it was a very good guess, but it's Larry Murphy of the LA uh, Kings. That 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 is a very tough question, though. Like yeah. all those players are very very good. Uh, in 1980, 1981, in 80 games played, Larry Murphy had 16 goals and 60 assists. That's 76 points. Wow. So, uh, yeah, kind of close to uh, Eric Carlson's career high in Ottawa. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> on to today's news, and we're going to start off with a trade, Brett. Yeah, it was. It's the. It's a big trade, kind of. I mean, I guess the the Hurricanes had been uh, trying to. Traded this guy for a long time now. Um, it's Je- I guess I can I can spoil it now, um, yeah. but uh, I don't know why I was being so secretive there. Um, but <laughs> it's, been, it's been a month. Everyone's yeah, I know. I know. I'm trying to I'm trying to keep some intrigue here. Um, yeah. Anyways, Jeff Skinner um, finally gets traded, um, and I, uh, he goes to the. Let me tell you the deal here. Um, he goes to Carolina. I mean, he goes to Buffalo. Um, and the Hurricanes get back Cliff Poo, uh, 2019 second round pick, a 2020 third round pick, and a 2026 round pick, 
Um, it is worth noting that Buffalo has three first-round picks already, um, and Carolina didn't even get that from them. Uh, one from the Sharks for that Vander Kane trade, and then one from the Blues in that Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, so <laughs> the the Sabres kind of made off because they didn't even get to trade a first-round pick. It's kind of a, a little bit crazy for me because um, I feel like uh, the Hurricanes could have at least gotten a first-round pick for him. Um, nothing to say against uh, Cliff Poo or anything um, because, you know, he he was decent in the OHL. I was looking at his um, stats in the OHL. He had um, 84 points in 65 games and uh, 39 goals, um, and that was when he was both in for the London Knights and the Kingston Frontenacs, I believe. Um, and so that's not a terrible, like, he's not like a bad prospect or anything. But if you trade a guy like Jeff Skinner, who um, is a little bit underrated, I don't know if he, I was looking at his stats uh, for show prep and stuff. Last, in 20, he didn't have a great year this year. Um, he's only 26 years old. Uh, last year, the year before that, he had 37 goals on, like, a terrible line with Derek Ryan on his team. Um, and then he also had a 31 point, he won the Calder Trophy when he was 18 in 2010 to the 2011 season, um, where he had 31 goals, 32 assists. Um, and then he also had, uh, I think in the, sh- uh, in 2013, he had 33 goals as well. He's he's usually like you know sometimes he gets injured a bit, but you know it's not like a he's a huge injury risk. But like he doesn't hit a ton, um, and he doesn't have that. He's like kind of more of a one-dimensional player. However, having said all that, you know he shoots a lot. He scores a lot of goals. That is what you need. Like I don't know if you know this, uh, Steve, but. Um, if you want to win hockey games, you have to score goals. So I think that's yeah. that's a little bit important. Um, so it's it is. I feel like Jeff Skinner is so underrated that I feel like the Hurricanes could have at least gotten a first round pick for him. Um, so I don't know. It's not. I I I feel like the Sabers won. I I hate awarding trades, but I feel like just on that fact alone, the the Sabres won just because they didn't have to trade a, like a prospect, a top prospect, mm-hmm. or uh, get rid of a first-round pick. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think this is a good deal for the Sabres. We'll talk more about each of them here, but what are your general thoughts first of all? Well, yeah, the fact that they didn't get a first-round pick when Buffalo had three to choose from, yeah, that's that's strike one. Mm-hmm. Strike two is when you go on easy mode on EA Sports NHL, and even they say no to it. Right. That's probably a red flag that this is a bad deal for one team. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it, in general, I think it's um, a total win for Buffalo, um, especially when you consider – just where this team has been the past couple of years. You, you would think, you know, Jeff Skinner going to a contending team perhaps, mm-hmm. and he's and he's uh, nicked some deals before, and Buffalo is the place that he goes to. That's That was right. kind of a head-scratcher. It's just like not the fact that he got traded. It's to where. Yeah, true. 
Yeah, apparently there was some reports that he was going to be dealt to uh, St. Louis um, during, I think it was St. Louis or his, some team, um, it, during the tra- draft deadline, and he refused to do it. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess it, do- it is saying something that he wanted to go to the Sabres because um, he was able to move his no-trade clause. Or no movement clause. He has a no movement clause here. Especially when you look at this as the same Sabres team yep. that just traded Ryan O'Reilly to St. Louis. And mm. I know they still have Jack Eichel in the mix. And Sam Reinhardt scored 25 goals and 50 points last year. Yep. But they just lost their top power play score. Right. Why would he waive his no trade to go to a team like Buffalo that not only did make the playoffs last year, but has yet to establish a culture in which they are a playoff team, and they failed to do that since the late years of Brian Miller's prime. Yeah, This was the worst team in the league last year, and even Carolina did better than the Sabres as a result. So I can understand if you wave it to go to a team like uh, L.A. or St. Louis because at least they'll make the playoffs. Right. Um, But now that he's going to Buffalo, I'm wondering, what does this exactly say about the Sabres franchise? And I'm thinking, you know, Maybe Buffalo's actually finally onto something here. They got Dallin Restalainen on the blue line. Yep. Um, they have what appears to be a very capable goaltender in Carter Hutton. Now they have a very solid scorer to complement Jack Eichel. Um, and this is a guy that wants to focus on winning with the Sabres. Yep. So I think this will be a slam dunk win if he signs a contract extension. I think it's, for the time being, a short-term gamble for the Sabres to see how it works out. Right. But um, even with the acquisition of Jack's, uh, uh, with uh, Jeff Skinner, sorry, they're still in a division with Tampa Bay. They're still in a division with Toronto. They're still in a division with Boston. They're still in a very tough position. Yeah, I think yeah, the, you you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like it is. You would think that if you're going to, if you're like a guy like. Uh, if you're a player with the skill that Jeff Skinner has, you want to be on a team, you'd think you would only remove your no-trade clause to a team that, um, you know, that is contending. Um, and, like, the Sabres are not that team. However, they do have, you did say that they have, they have Rasmus Dalling, they have Casey Middlestad coming up, who could be something. Um, uh, Jack Eichel, of course, um, Sam Reinhardt had a really good, se- uh, second half of the season. Um, you know, of course, Rasmus was Salanin. So like, if you put all those guys together, especially if Casey Middlestad can be something or Sam Reinhardt can continue to do what he has been doing. Um, and then Jack Eichel can remain healthy. I think you could be a legitimate team here. Um, you know, like, and also when you think about it as well in terms of just you look at the Atlantic Division, sure you have Toronto, sure you have Tampa, and sure you have Boston, um, and even Florida, I, I would count those guys. Yeah. But you also have, like, Montreal in there, Ottawa, who knows. Um, those are two, like, wild cards that they could be really good, they could be really bad, and most likely really bad. And then you also have yeah. Detroit, who's rebuilding, so it's like, you know, there is a good chance that Buffalo could be competing for that four spot with Boston and Florida, um, you know, come 
come time if if all everything goes well with them. Um, I think the one main concern is still like, you know, if Carter Hutton will be that guy and Linus Ulmark will be a person like a go- a goalie in the future, but um, but in terms of like forward group, that's it's very promising. Um, just even still, like they have Connor Sheary, Tage Thompson, who could be something. So I, I don't know. It, it I'm kind of more optimistic for the Sabers. I know they're in my in the division of the Bruins, but I don't know. I could see them kind of uh, making some noise um, if they get really get going um, soon. I think it's just they have to figure out the goalie situation. Their defense has always been a thing. Um, even when they were good, so um, so that that will be the bigger thing. But like just envisioning the top line of Eichel, Skinner, and then you have like Sam Reinhardt on the right side. Um, that's kind of a dynamite lineup or a, a top line. True, and and uh, secondary scoring is probably going to be another part of the right. Sabers game because like all good playoff teams, it's more than just one good. True. Line. Yeah, uh, but. But at the same time, Jeff Skinner, I think, is going to help this team. Um, If you take a look at his stats and where the Sabres were lacking, uh, he was outside the NHL's top 50 for most giveaways. That's good for the Sabres because one of the few things they are very good at last year is not turning the puck over all that much. Right. And uh, what they they really struggled to do is actually take the puck away from the other team. They had the second fewest takeaways as a team last year. Jeff Skinner had 93, and the only guy that had more takeaways than him was uh, Carter McDavid. So there's uh, one area where he helps the Sabres. Another is shots. Um, We all know how good Evander Kane was at generating shots. He was around the top five in the first half of the year. Uh, He still finished in the top ten even after the trade to San Jose. I think he got over, like... 300 shots on the year uh, combined with the Buffalo and San Jose. Um, If you look at where Jeff Skinner finished, he finished just outside the top 10 in shots last year. He earned 277 of those in 82 games ahead of guys like Phil Kessel and John Tavares. And that is important because like you said, you kind of need shots on goal to win games and you need to score goals to win games. And the Sabres not only uh, didn't do so well at scoring goals, uh, in terms of average shots per game, they were in the bottom 10 last year. And so, that was a team that had Evander Kane. And that was a team that had Evander Kane in their lineup for half the mm-hmm. season. Um, yeah, it, that is a good point, too. It's like, uh, like you mentioned that Jeff Skinner had, like, it was in the top 10 of shots in the league. Um, Just outside the top yeah. 10, but he was like one or two away from being in the top 10. However, he had like 24 goals. And so like, that just shows that like, if you know anything about advanced stats, that his shooting percentage was an 8.7, which is absurdly low, um, which means that it'll, it'll eventually, you know, gradually go up. So like, tw- and especially when yeah. you consider it was on Carolina, that exactly. wasn't, that much better than Buffalo, right? Right, and it's like, you know, you think about Carolina, their depth isn't that great aside from the top line that Jeff Skinner wasn't on, so it wasn't like he was dealing with, um, you know, like a good center um, other than, I guess, Jordan Stahl was too busy with Tara Vinen and Sebastian Ajo. 
um, and then you have no one really um, for the for Carolina. But like then, like you, you know, he still had twenty four goals, which is still a lot. But he could have had a ton more considering he had, he shot two hundred and seventy seven times. So um, it just shows that like he just got really unlucky this season, um, even still. Um, but yeah, I think a, a part of the other reason why this may have been so, you know, like the Sabres didn't have to give up their first round pick or, um, a, like a Casey Middlestad type player, um, is probably because of the fact that Jeff Skinner is going to be, um, a UFA next year. And I feel like that may have been a, a large factor if like Skinner wasn't willing to sign with the Sabres you know, it's kind of like do a sign and trade kind of thing. Maybe that is more of a factor. And if he is willing to sign, um, you know, do a sign and trade, then maybe the Sabres would have done more um, or, you know, given up more about it. But I, th- I feel like that that rental situation, uh, like potential, is probably a big reason why they decided – um, the Sabres or the Hurricanes were able to do this deal because they figure, like, well, Skinner may not sign with the Sabres. It's not, like, a long-term thing. Um, that would be my only guess, really. And, oh. it's, and Buffalo is also closer to home, but, like, yeah. I don't imagine Jeff Skinner playing for the Leafs given what their cap situation is going to be yeah. in a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's still closer to family. And uh, to that I say... You know, he could have gone to a lot of other good teams, and he nixed those deals reportedly, yeah. according to reports. He nixed a few deals. And if there are better situations than Buffalo, which chances are they probably were, uh, I would think the Sabres have a legit shot at re-signing this guy to a contract extension if he at least wants to play for them. True. No, that's a good point. Uh, let's talk about the Hurricanes for a second here. Um I don't really, like, I'm just looking at their lineup. I know that Andre Sevnishkov is going to be in the league uh, this year. And, of course, you have Aho and Tara Vinen and Jordan Stahl, who are a great line. Um, but then you also have, like, you know, there's also, like, Valentin Zykov's going to be in there. Who knows what he's going to be long-term. Uh, Warren Fogel um, is also probably going to be in the lineup. So it's like, like, sure, Shevnikov, Zaykov, and Fogel could be something, but we already know what Jeff Skinner is going to be. And I, I don't understand why they wouldn't even try, like, like, sure, fine, make him a, I get it that Sebastian Ajo is a better left winger, or I, I guess Teravainen's the left winger in this situation. So I get that Teravainen has been a great left winger for the Hurricanes, but that doesn't mean that you can't, like, you should trade your other really good left winger as well. Um, so that's the, that part of me kind of doesn't understand it, where it's like you still have Jeff Skinner, so he could still be a secondary scorer for you. And if he's a secondary scorer for you, that's that's a pretty good secondary scoring um, in terms of depth. Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to have depth, and it's like, who knows what these prospects are going to be um, in the NHL, especially a guy like Shevnikov, where you don't want to rush him um, if he's not ready, and we don't know if he's not if he's ready or not. So, um, so that, 
I do have concerns about that um, aspect of things. However, maybe it was just a cap move because now they have 18 million in cap space. Um, but uh, so maybe there is more moves on the way. But it's it seems like this lineup just just screams that they're trying to go for Jack Hughes um, this year. Um, yeah. Honestly, like I look at Cliff Pooh's stats. We talked a bit about them. Yep. Um, he had 35 goals in his second full year with the Knights. I combined 29 goals with London and Kingston last year. He also had 17 points in 15 playoff games with the France. That's all well and good. But he appears to be the centerpiece of this deal. It shouldn't just be him. Like, you look at Mike Hoffman. He had a lot of baggage. Yes. A lot of alleged baggage. Mostly against his girlfriend. But the Sharks <laughs> still got a second-round pick out of Florida. Yes. How in the world can you not get at least one first-round pick for Jeff Skinner, who, like, full credit to Mike Hoffman, he's been a 20-goal scorer for a lot of his NHL career, but he's never scored 30 goals once in his NHL career. Right. Skinner's done that not once, not twice, but three times, yep. and they didn't get a first-round pick for him. I could understand if this was at the deadline. This would be a good haul at the deadline. Yeah, I agree with that. But this is before training camp even started. Right. So, I and, and not to mention that Skinner is like 26 years old. It's not like he's over yeah. 30 or something. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and it, it's true that, you know, Cliff Poo could be, um, you know, something down the line. And who knows where the Sabres will be. So that 2019 second round pick could be valuable. But, like, at the same time, it's like, you know, you're, you're basically – you know, you could have gotten so much more for this guy because he's he's one of the more underrated players in the league back when he was on, in Carolina. Um, so now he has a shot to actually, you know, prove that he is worth all that. But, you know, I feel like you could have gotten more from him. Um, exactly. I yeah, think we're both in agreement. I, I, I'm not in the war room. I don't know what's going on. Yep. But based on what I know, I think the Hurricanes settled on this Jeff Skinner trade. I think I they think could so have too. gotten a lot more. And yeah. I, I, I look at some of their other prospects that maybe a lot of people like haven't even heard of yet, like yep. Morgan Geeky. Um, what a name, I know. Um, but he's not kidding around. In back-to-back WHL campaigns, he scored 30 goals. He posted 90 points uh, in 2016, 2017, 84 points last year. And in uh, 14 playoff games last year, he had 17 goals and 10 assists. Yep. But if you look at teams like Toronto, teams like Tampa Bay, they're always refueling that uh, prospect cupboard every year. Yep. And Carolina, Carolina needs to keep doing that because if they're going in the youthful direction, more and more of their prospects are going to be NHL ready. And you need to develop more and more prospects yep. to continue to be good. And you look at the Leafs, who might be ready to um, shop around uh, Calvin Pickard. Like, Calvin Pickard had a great year last year, but so did Garrett Sparks. One, only one of those guys is going to be behind Freddie Anderson, uh, in, whether it's next year or the year after that. Yeah. So, you look at uh, Toronto and Tampa Bay, how they've been able to manage their prospects. Carolina really needs to do a good job of managing their future, because their future is not going to be good if they don't do that. Yeah, and I, I think, like, I forgot to mention, they also have Marta Nikash, who could be something, um, mm-hmm. and also uh, Nicholas Roy, Roy, 
ROI. I don't know how to print. I, I know uh, it's Roy, yeah. yeah. And uh, Patrick Waugh kind of uh, has confused me on how yeah. to pronounce that name. But uh, so, like, you do have those guys, um, and at least those players have been in, you know, the AHL. Um, you know, you also have, I think, Valentin Sykov has some experience in the AHL and some experience in the NHL last year. Um, same with Fogel. Um, but, like, you know, you can't, like, just, like, throw them out there just expecting them to do well right away. Um, and I think, I feel like I just don't, I don't, I don't want to see them, like, rush their development. Um, and I think they have a danger of doing that just by making this trade because it makes it seem like, oh, it's no big deal. We can trade Jeff Skinner because we have all these young prospects that are ready now, which you don't even know if they're ready now. So I feel like there may be another trade up in the works um, would be my guess. Justin Falk. Yeah, maybe Justin Falk. Especially considering they have Dougie Hamilton now. uh, Yeah, that's true. Um, in, uh, by the way, speaking of which, uh, in the 2010 draft, um, speaking of another Boston Bruins blunder, uh, uh, 2010, uh, draft only eight of the top 10 players have been traded. Um, Taylor Hall, of course, uh, for Adam Larson, Tyler Sagan, of course, uh, to the stars for a bunch of, um, Louis Erickson and, uh, and Riley Smith. Um, Eric Goodbranson got traded to Vancouver. I forget the biggest, the big deal about that. Uh, Ryan Johansson was a Columbus Blue Jacket, and then he got traded to the Predators for Seth Jones. Uh, Nino Niederreiter um, was picked fifth. Um, he uh, went to uh, Minnesota uh, for Cal Clutterbuck. Um, <laughs> that was a bad trade. Uh, Brett Connolly, he went to the Bruins eventually. Jeff Skinner, we just talked about. Alex Bermistroff was picked eighth overall. He is now in the KHL. Um, Michael Granlin is the only one who has it, who's remained on the Wild, so um, yet. <laughs> and then uh, Dylan McIlrath is, uh, was picked tenth overall. I don't think he's in the league anymore. Um, but, um, it is kind of interesting that a lot of the top picks in the 2010 draft have been traded. And there are a lot of other studs that came out of that draft. Yeah. There was Tarasenko and Kuznetsov later in the first round. Kevin you had fourth, fifth round steals Kuznetsov. like Lager, Gallagher, Stone in the sixth round by Ottawa. That was a steal. Justin Falk, speaking of which, yeah. Yeah, he uh, was picked later too, yeah. Kuznetsov, um, I think there was a couple of other ones. Jason Zucker. Uh, and I think there was, yeah, there was a couple of other ones. Uh, Radko Gudas, your favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw his name just like, oh, he was in that draft too, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. I, I think it is it is tough to say like who won the draft, especially uh, the trade, especially since you know the season hasn't started yet. But um, I feel like uh, right now the, the Sabres have the advantage. Um all right, let's go to, um, it's funny, I have a spreadsheet here, and I just wrote Carlson, and I was like, wait, Eric Carlson? <laughs> um, You're just but, waiting for that sign yeah, trade yeah. already. I right, see. exactly. No, no, yeah, speaking of sign trades, um, so we're going to the rapid fire. 
William Carlson was who I meant to talk about. He uh, re-signed with the Golden Knights. Uh, he had a one-year, uh, he got re-signed for one year, $5.25 million annual average value. Um, he's 25 years old, um, 82 games played, I, uh, of course. Um, he had 40, The biggest stat here is that he had 43 goals uh, last year um, and 78 points. Um, the biggest news here is that he had um, his second best season was when he had six goals and 25 points now you, in, for Columbus. And you can make a case that maybe Columbus just didn't deploy them correctly. But at the same time, this could also just be a, like, you know, they just didn't give him enough ice time. But at the same time, it's tough to say that, like, this couldn't be a fluke, um, just like the Golden Knights. So I think it is a smart move to give him one year, uh, 5.25, kind of just like a prove-it deal. Like, hey, we know that you you had a really good season, um, so we're going to give you $5 million off the bat. But it's only going to be one year, and I, I, I think I like this move in term, in in that regard because it's like just prove that you can do this again, um, and it, it's going to be one of the more fascinating storylines in the NHL this season is to see if William Carlson can actually get back do forty goals or at least thirty goals. Yeah, I'm just taking a look at some of his stats, and I can understand maybe the caution behind Vegas, but let's let's recap just how good, out of this world, this guy was uh, last year. You're looking at a top-five goal scorer in the entire league. Uh, 184 shots on target, 23.4 shooting percentage, which is ridiculous. Yep. Um, out of NHLers with at least 150 shots on goal, that was the highest shooting percentage. And he never had a shooting percentage over 10 in his three previous seasons. Uh, and amongst players with at least 500 minutes of ice time, he was 206th in shots on goal per 60 minutes. And he was still a top five goal scorer, despite all of that. And you look at some of his other stats, five game winners, three previous seasons. He got six last year alone. Four shorthanded markers, eight power play goals, only had one power play goal in his career before that. Plus 49, which is crazy. 12 penalty minutes, which is crazy. Like, he had 50 points with the Blue Jackets. He had 43 goals with Vegas. Yeah. Like, he almost equaled his point total from the previous year with his goal total um, in, in one year. So, you look at guys like Jason Zucker, who is coming off his first 30-goal season. He gets a five- or six-year deal with Minnesota. And a lot of people are questioning whether or not he's worth that money uh, when he hasn't scored uh, 30 goals prior to this year. William Carlson is at least worth over $5 million for one year just to at least prove that he is indeed worth that money. Yeah. Because to, to go out there and say he's not even worth $3.5 million per year initially it is – Maybe, depending on how you look at it, depending on who you are, that's that's a bit of a slap in the face. Like, right. A Wait, who's saying he's making he should be? Who would sign that? Wait, who's saying that he should be making that much? Well, um, th- this was back in the arbitration negotiations. Uh, William Carlson wanted $6 million. Vegas got was it, it. not even $3.5 million. 
Let's see. So, I, but I, I think in all fairness to Vegas, and this is the other side of the story, you don't know what you're going to get out of this guy. Um, and with all due respect to William Carlson, as good of a player as he is, there's this list that I came across uh, that shows five players, 25 or younger, uh, to score 40 goals in an NHL season since 2005. 05-06, Jonathan Chichu in San Jose, cap hit of $5.4 million. Once he got to Ottawa, scoring touch was gone. You didn't hear much of him since. Same year, Brian Gianta of the Devils makes noise. $7.2 million cap hit. And um, wasn't as dominant offensively since then. 07-08, Brad Boys with the Blues. Hot and cold player throughout his NHL career. 2009-2010, Alex Semin got paid loads of money, $9.3 million per year to be exact. Canes have since bought him out, and he's still on their buyout books today. So you're looking at a guy that goes from not even 30 points in his previous year to a 40-goal score. Of course, you're going to be cautious, and, and you're going to wait and see what he's got. Last year was a great year for Carlson, but the fact that he didn't have the numbers before, whether that's his fault or whether it's uh, Columbus's fault for not deploying properly, as you mentioned, um, that that remains to be seen. But especially when you consider all the bad contracts that have been signed over the years, the last thing George McPhee wants to do is to have an albatross contract on his team. Mm. And you see it with every single deal that he has signed. The longest contract as far as term was Jonathan Marcher, so that was for six or seven years. Um, McNabb and Miller uh, were the second longest at four years, and uh, this offseason he signed Stastny and Fleury to three-year deals. So that is basically the lengths that uh, George McPhee um, has put forward when it comes to contract extensions. So if he's willing to give a five- or six-year contract to William Carlson, he wants to make sure that he's worth every penny. And uh, I'll be interested. I, I think William Carlson is going to be the most interesting players to watch this year for this reason. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so, too. You kind of, you kind of touched on my points, too. So, um, yeah, it's I, I, I'll be interested to see. That. I could see it happening that, like, maybe he just didn't get enough ice time in Columbus. So there is that aspect of things. And... Um, but I don't know if he'll necessarily get 40 goals again, um, just because I feel like it's so hard to be 40, get 40 goals unless you're Alex Ovechkin. So I I don't know. I think it is uh, it will be something that will remain to be seen, and we'll we'll keep an eye on it. Um, all right, the next li- thing that on our on our agenda here is uh, Dylan Larkin. He gets five years. Uh, 6.1 million um, annual average value, um, and uh, let's see here. He had a he had a pretty decent year, even for the uh, like a rebuilding uh, Red Wings team. Um, he had 63 points in 82 games, so that's pretty that's pretty good. But last year he had 32 points in 80 games, and then his rookie year he had 45 points in 80 games. Um, so that he he's definitely improved, although although his second year wasn't as great. So he has potential to be you know um, pretty good uh, this year. 
Um, and I think, you know, he, I think this is a contract that you kind of have to sign if you're Detroit because you're, you know, Dylan Larkin and Mantha are probably going to be, if you're going to, if you, if they are dead set on rebuilding, Larkin and Mantha should be a part of your core. Um, and, you know, he might be a future cap. Larkin may be a future captain in the works. And, you know, once Zetterberg uh, retires, maybe. Um, I think there is something to that. The funnier thing, though, is that if they are rebuilding, they are literally, they literally have zero dollars in cap space because of this move. Um, and <laughs> it's just, so like the fact that Abdel is making four million, Franz Nielsen's making five point two million. Um, Mike Green's making five point three million. Although I guess since he is a top line defenseman or top pairing defenseman, I guess that is kind of um, makes sense. But Danny DeKaiser's making five million. Cronwell, Cronwell's making four point seven five million. Jimmy Howard uh, again, he's a starting goaltender, so I guess you do have to pay him a lot of money, but. Still, uh, 5.29 million. So it's like, you know, their cap situation is kind of weird. Henrik Zetterberg, he has had a really good season last year, but, you know, he's 37 years old. He's making 6 million. Um, so it's just like their, their cap situation, they're literally in cap hell, uh, cause they can't make any moves unless they have to drop someone. Um, so I kind of wonder if they're going to try to make a trade uh, uh, to to dump some salary somehow. But, like, the thing is, is, like, who's going to want uh, Franz Nielsen or uh, Abdelkader or Johan Franzen? Although, actually, I should mention that. I do remember, speaking of Johan Franzen, um, he will be on LTIR, so you do they do have $4 million cap space because um, that's what he's making, but... Even still, it's like you have four million in cap space. So um, I don't know. It is uh, <laughs> Ken Holland caught himself into a bit of a bind here, um, on like a team that's not necessarily that good. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it talk about rebuilding, right? Um, you look at teams like the Coyotes, who have around eight to ten million dollars yeah. in cap space. Unfortunately. They're at the contract limit, so they can't take on any more contracts. Right. So I think they're probably going to have to look to a team like Carolina. Right. You mentioned had a lot of cap space to maybe offload a bad contract like DeKaiser or even Nielsen. Like, Nielsen could be a good top six forward for the Hurricanes. Yeah, I could see that. That, that is a good point. But uh, let's take a look um, for anyone who's doubting Dylan Larkin's uh, worth, whether or not he's worth $6.1 million per year. We'll take a look here at um, just what he's done the first three years of his NHL career. Um, even strength numbers from 2017-2018. 52 even strength points, tied for 23rd in the league. 92 blocked neutral zone passes, second amongst NHL forwards. 414 controlled entries, eighth in the entire league. And his year-by-year stats are are just as impressive. 20 goal scoring year one, plus 11. Average time on ice per game, 16 minutes, 33 seconds. Little bit of an an adjustment in his second year, and you saw it in his numbers. Went from 23 goals to 17, 45 points to 32. Average time on ice took a small dive by 25 seconds. 
And then there's this year. Almost an average TOI of 20 minutes per game. Plus minus goes from minus 28 to minus 9 in a year. Doubled his previous career high in assists. It was 22, now it's 47. And you're looking at a top score on the Red Wings last year. And to put into perspective, oh, he doesn't score on the power play. Well, like like you said, it's not always about what your power play stats are. If you can yep. get goals and points outside of the power play, I think that's more useful than anything. In fact, yep. he had two shorthanded goals. One more power play goal, or uh, one more shorthanded goal than he had a power play goal. He had one power play goal the entire year. He had two shorthanded goals all of last year. And his face-top percentage over the past, or his first three years has improved. It started off at 41, then it went to 45.37, 49.32 last year. And his shots on goal took a dive in year two, got back up in 2017-18, career-high 232. And he didn't score a lot. But if you continue to give this guy opportunities to excel, especially on the power play, I think this is going to be a very key signing, and I think Dylan Larkin would be worth every penny for the Red Wings, especially when you consider the age of Henrik Sedberg and you wonder how much this guy's got left in the tank. Yep. No, that, that is a good point. Henrik, I mean, I did mention this. Henrik Sederberg's 37 years old. I think he may be considering retiring or something. I think I saw that there was some consideration for that, but... Yeah, I, I think that is a good point in terms of, like, he's probably going to be a captain at some point with this much money. The one thing I will say is just looking at his stats of a Dylan Larkin is that, like, he is he's more of a playmaker than a scorer. Um, yeah. So there there is some, like, he did have 23 goals in his first season, but, you know, he had... 17 um, in 2016-17 season, and then last year he had 16 goals, um, but he also had 47 assists. So it is, I I could see a case being made where Larkin is like, um, you know, just, I mean, he's more of a playmaker, which is fine, but then you have to find a guy who can score um, for the, for, uh, you know, all the passes that he makes. Um, so maybe a guy like Jeff Skinner. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – so that that is a good point. I think the Red Wings are just at the point where they should be rebuilding, but, like, they rebuilt t- too late, um, <laughs> and now they're seeing the effects of it. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> they're, they're kind of a mess. Um, yeah, uh, the – what I do see in Dylan Larkin before yeah. I get on to the next topic is a guy that's always wanting to get better. Just based on what he said in the media, he says he needs to improve on everything. He wants to be a superstar. Yeah. The Red Wings need players like that. Every team needs yeah. players like that. True. And if if his rhetoric holds true, Dylan Larkin is going to be something. Yeah, the funny thing about the Red Wings, uh, just, just coming off here, is that they're they're in a division with the Canadians, the yeah, Senators. Yeah, the same problem as Buffalo. It's just like, yeah, yeah great, Buffalo. I'm getting Dylan Larkin back on your team, but you got these guys to still worry about. Right. No, no, I was just saying, like, like they're like the Red Wings are a mess, but they're not like 
the Ottawa Senators mess. Yeah, you know, you know uh, to be fair, nobody yeah. is like the Ottawa Senators right, right. right now. Let's they're not like, like yeah, they're not like Montreal. Although they just have to worry about you know, you know, they're not like Montreal in terms of their center depth. And at least they, you know, I guess Montreal at least has Carey Price, but like that's about it. Yeah. Um, so, um, John Gibson, uh, signs, so this is one of those deals that's going to start next season. Um, he signed an eight-year contract, 6.4 million annual average value. Um, John Gibson has had a very good career so far in the NHL, so, I um, mean, he's also only 25 years old, so it's, it is hard to, um, argue with that, but. Um, you know, like that he's worth the eight years. However, since he does have injury history, um, it is kind of tough to see it like this. But uh, he had a two point in 60 games he played last year, which is a lot for a goalie. Um, nine, he had a 936 save percentage and a 2.43 goals against average. Um, so uh, I, believe, I believe it was nine twenty six, not nine thirty six, but still impressive. What did I, oh did I? I think you said nine thirty six. I could be wrong. I, I thought I heard nine thirty six. Yeah, actually, now that I read that out, that does not seem right. Let me just double check. If it was nine thirty six, uh, considering the amount of games that he played, I think he would have gotten a lot more money. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. It's nine two six. It's nine twenty six. That's um, still good though. <laughs> All right, I guess uh, my first mistake on the spreadsheet here. Um, the uh, yeah, so I mean that's still pretty good though. Um, even though it was, uh, I was just, when I was that's, reading that out, I was like, wait a second, he had a nine thirty six. I knew he had a good season, not that that's good season. Zero zero one, yeah. just under Pecorine, who by the way won the Vezina Trophy. In case you forgot last year, right, right. <laughs> so it's like, um, but yeah, anyways, that's still pretty good. Um, so I, like, I think there is a risk of him being injured and, um, you know, you don't want this to be like a Rick DiPietro type situation or even a Carey Price type situation, but it's, you know, it's still like, you know, he is one of the best young goalies, if not the best young goalies, um, in the league right now. Yeah. I guess you can make a case for Matt Murray or Connor Hellebuck, but, um, just in terms of consistency, um, he, you know, he's more consistent than those two guys um, in terms of young players. Oh, I guess Vasilevsky is up there too. But, anyways, the the whole, I, I I think this is a good deal for him if he stays healthy, um, and that's the key there. It's it's if he stays healthy. Um, I, I feel like that's the mantra for every single lead, uh, for every single co- but, contract that's signed. If he stays healthy, it's going to be good. But this is especially true for this guy. Well, no, I was going to say, like, particularly for Gibson, because he has injury history for the like the past couple of years. Now, Specifically so. lower body. Exactly. So it is it is more of a, like, so I have to emphasize that it's like, if he stays healthy, this is a good contract for him. But if he's not, then this could be, like, one of the worst contracts ever. Um, so um, there is that, that aspect of things. But, um, yeah, um, what, what is your take? Well, just taking a look at some of the numbers, he's got some darn good numbers, not just uh, last season. We'll get into last season in a second. But 
He owns the highest career save percentage amongst goalies to appear in at least 100 games since 1955-56, when shots on goal became an official NHL stat. And some of the other goalies on that list include the Dominator, Tuka Rask, Antti Ranta, and Ken Dryden. So that's a pretty special list to be on. And over the past three years, according to Sportsnet stats, he has the best save percentage in the NHL with a minimum of 100 starts at 924. And Emmanuel Perry had tip to him on Twitter for mentioning uh, Gibson is ranked third in Delta save percentage over the past three years. Delta save percentage, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know this, difference between actual and expected save percentage. So his actual save percentage versus what people expect out of you, like the, the shots that you're supposed to stop or right. the shots that you're not supposed to stop and do anyway. Um, and I did a bit of digging on my own as well on the NHL's website. His lowest save percentage in an NHL campaign was 914. And that was when he appeared in 23 games for the Ducks back in 2014-15. And since then, in every single year, his save percentage has gone up. Right. And the Ducks had to go through last year with injuries to key players. Some of their core pieces were hot and cold. Didn't like the house offensively either. Uh, They were ranked 19th out of 31 teams in goals for bottom 10 power play, heavily relied on their top five penalty kill, and they averaged the six most shots against per game as a team. All this adds more pressure on Ryan Miller and Sean Gibson. And as good as Ryan Miller was when he was playing or when Gibson wasn't healthy, when Gibson was playing, he was in a league of his own. And while his GAA did climb this year, 2.43 goals against average is still pretty good. Right. So I, I definitely think there's a lot to like with this John Gibson signing it. Like you said, if he's not healthy, it's going to put a dent on it. But the other key thing to note is with this contract, John Gibson is in the top five for highest AAV made by goaltenders. Is he in that company? Is he a top five goaltender? That is what uh, is circling my mind right now. Is John Gibson a top five goalie in this league? Because he's getting paid like one. Yeah, I think think he is. I know, I I don't know, it's tough. I have to like do some more thinking on it because like just off the top of my mind, there's... Vasilevsky, uh, Bobrovsky, um, Lundqvist and Price used to be up there. Holtby is one of those. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Gip- Dubnik is up there. Flurry maybe. Um, Hellebuck. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he, he's certainly up there. Uh, Just Rash. to take a look at the list for a second. Carey Price first at $10.5 million. King Henrik second at 8.5. Rask and Flower both making $7 million, and then there's John Gibson. Yep. And uh, according to Cap Friendly, his cap comparables are Tuka Rask and Braden Holby. Okay. So I guess that says something. I, I do want to make a point that, like, the Ducks were not just Gibson, who was injured for some parts of the season, but, like, the, the Ducks didn't have Cam Fowler for a lot of the season. They didn't have uh, Patrick Eves for the entire season, Ryan Kessler was injured a lot. Um, yeah. They they were 
they had struggled with injuries throughout, yet they still, with with the back of backings of um, Gibson and Ryan Miller, you know, they still managed to make the playoffs and get 101 points um, at the end of the career. And, like, you know, they outlasted the, the Sharks, or they, you know, they beat them. It came down to the wire towards the end of the season, if you remember. Um, and, you know, they beat the Sharks by one point um, at the end of the season. So they got the second seed um, in the division. But, so, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that the, the Ducks, you know, their goaltending was phenomenal. Um, so um, I think there is something to be said about how, like, John Gibson means a lot to the Ducks' success. Because if, if John Gibson struggles, or if, um, you know, it's lucky that they have a guy like Ryan Miller who has been decent for them, but, you know, if, the, if Gibson struggles, then the Ducks are one of the worst teams in the league. Um, you know, and they had a 2-6, I'm looking here, they had a 2-16 goals against, um, they only had 2-16 goals against last season. Which is incredible. Um, anyways. Now, uh, to, to add to your point, though, and you bring up an interesting point, the Anaheim Ducks were wise to do this this offseason compared to next offseason mm-hmm. because while John Gibson would have been, I, I believe he he's 25 now, so he'd still be an RFA. I think he'd be an arbitration eligible one as well. But if he has another season like this, this is his first 30-win season he's ever posted at the NHL level. Right. So this is a career year by his standards. If he puts up those numbers again, that contract is probably going to be higher. The arbitrator could be coming in and determining his value. So the Ducks could have been paying a lot more if they waited a little longer. So they were wise to sign him to this deal, no question. Um, So to, to, to that end, I give them kudos. But years three to eight, they put a no trade clause on him. That makes it a little bit tougher to swallow, but not really a little bit. But, um, yeah, you know, when they traded Freddie Anderson to Toronto, they did it um, with all intents and purposes of making John Gibson their goalie of the future, their franchise yeah. goalie. And with this contract, they've done uh, exactly that. So. I, I guess it, it would make sense why they would uh, put in a, a no trade clause, but you, you just get kind of real concerned when you give goaltenders eight year extensions because we all know how uh, Carey Price did last year. The first year of his new deal is going to kick in this year. Rick Pietro right. goes without saying what happened to him, and the whole issue with goaltending fatigue. We talked about that yep. uh, and how much goalies should be paid. Uh, when we talked about the Hellbeck extension. So uh, it, it's all, all of those thoughts creep in your mind whenever you see a goaltender get a new contract like this. But um, I definitely think Gibson has potential to be worth every penny, and it's just up to um, luck on the injury front, and uh, hopefully uh, some good years um, will determine just how good of a contract this is. But uh, – uh, I, I think I think on paper right now it makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's do quickly here on another duck signing. Andre Cache um, gets signed by the Ducks 
This is a, uh, he gets signed three years, 2.6 million annual average value. Kind of had a career year this year, although I guess it was his work year. Um, he had, in 66 games, he had 20 goals and 38 points. Um, he has potential to, you know, it is one of those things where if, if he can, uh, you know, if he can improve, then this is a, st- a steal of a contract for him. Oh, no, this wasn't a rookie year. It was his second year. But uh, even still, uh, it's, it was kind of his, you know, he had 38 points, 66 games. So um, if he can continue on that trajectory, um, this this could be a steal, especially for $2.6 millions every year. Um, so, um, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, taking a look at his stats, 20 goals scored last year, too. Quadrupled his goal total, doubled his point total from the season before. Like you said, the Ducks weren't the healthiest team, and guys like Henrique, yep. guys like Andre Kasha, basically shine the spot like they had to because right. their top scorers at times weren't their top scorers, and right. they needed secondary scoring. And that's why Andre Kasha is going to have to keep improving his game because they are going to need this guy, and that's why this contract is – not major on paper, but it's major when you look at the grand scheme of things because we haven't seen Andre Kasha at his best yet. He's still improving. Right. And yet amongst NHL forwards, um, he wasn't even in the top 200 for average time on ice per game last year. He had 12 minutes, 36 seconds on average per game. But when you look at controlled entries per 20 minutes, he was in the top 40. He was also 14th in offensive zone, loose puck recoveries per 20 minutes at 9.8. And on top of the 20 goals he scored last year, he had five game-winning goals and just one power play goal. So this guy is doing damage and even strength. And he's doing damage with very little ice time. This guy had 146 shots on goal while averaging just under 13 minutes per game. Yep. So they are definitely giving him opportunities to succeed. I think they're going to continue to give him opportunities to succeed. And I think this top 20 sophomore scorer has the potential to become a Ricard Raquel, a guy that if you put him in the right situation could score 30 goals a year. Yeah. Um, especially with when you consider just how speedy this guy is. I was also going to say, especially with how, Kessler and Perry had down years this year. Uh, and we don't know what the health level of Kessler is this year right. and how good Eves is going to be. Exactly. So so that that also has an effect. It's like they kind of need Cache to be um, what he, you know, even better than what he was this year. But if they can, even if, if he gets 40 points again, um, that that's also uh, good for them too. So... Um, especially at that kind of price. Um, Here's an interesting stat oh. as well before we go. 368 forwards played at least 500 five-on-five minutes last year. Kasha scored 100, uh, not 128 goals, 1.28 goals per 60 minutes. Wow. That was the ninth best mark of the group. That's still impressive. 128.0 yeah. goals per 60 minutes would be uh, bigger than Wayne Gretzky level. But uh, 1.28 goals per 60 minutes is the stat. His company included Brock Besser, JVR, Patrick Laine, and Nathan McKinnon. So that just goes to show you, if you put him in a top six role, what he could be capable of. Yep. 
Um, I, I I liked our episodes better when we like disagreed more, but it's okay. <laughs> I feel like we're I feel like we're agreeing too much or some reason. Oh, just, oh, probably the, when we get to the top twenties, there's going to be some disagreements. Yeah, that is. Probably a good we're going to disagree on everything. That show. I was That's just thinking that it's just like this. This has to be so boring for people. It's like we're yeah, saying the same this thing over and over. Should be titled "We Agree on Everything," and the next episode should be titled "We Disagree on Everything." Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> to, uh, all right, here's the. I, I think you'll agree. I, I actually know your opinion on this, so um, <laughs> we both agree on this one here. It's a good segue here. Uh, Tom Wilson gets a six years, five point one six million. Uh, just some stats. Before I go on this rant here, uh, he has, uh, he's, uh, first off, he's 24 years old. Uh, last year, he had 78 games played. Um, he had 35 points, um, 14 goals. Um, and uh, he's most notable for being uh, a cheap shot artist, especially. Um, uh, he uh, headhunted Zach Ashton Reese in the playoffs. Um, yeah. And I think it was also Dumoulin was another one of his um, as well. So it's like, you know, he's kind of have a, he has a reputation kind of like Brad Marchand in the sense that he, uh, you know, he just gets people riled up, especially, you know, all the Capitals fans love him, but all the, everyone else hates his guts, um, which is very similar to what Brad Marchand is. Um, However, having said all that, he's not Brad Marchand. Uh, he, uh, Brad Marchand is also good on the hockey, um, um, in the, in this little game called hockey, um, where, you know, he had more than a point per game, where Tom Wilson had 35 points in, uh, 78 games. So, like, giving a guy 5.16 million, uh, for just being a dirtbag, um, is ridiculous to me. Um, and I mean, I, I guess there is a potential, and I, I know that he was on the top line with Ovechkin and Backstrom at some point in the season, and he was pretty good in that sense. So there is a potential for him to be offensive, and I know there's more to that than, than you know, just offense and scoring points. But, like, just, like, being the tough guy that doesn't mean that you should get five million a year for six years like that, and like it's it just so like it's just mental to me that like this is the case, and this is a guy who loves Brad Marchand, but like it's just it just seems crazy to me to pay him five million a year um, f- for what he's doing now. I guess there is, you could make a case for it being like. Just the fact that he has the potential to score a lot more, but that's just based off of potential. You don't give five million just on potential. So I don't. It's this. This seems like okay. He he made a you know he made an impact in the playoffs, um, and let's let's keep him for five million. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> And I guess he wants to be Brad Marchand so bad that they, the Caps even gave him a no trade clause. From that too, that was crazy too. Which is even worse. Wait, no, I have here that on Cap Friendly it says that he's not, he doesn't have a no trade clause. He does. 
Years three to six. Oh, okay. Years one and two, it doesn't. Okay, okay, that's probably why. All right. Oh, yeah, I see it here. Okay, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go on with your right now. Yeah, uh, uh, 10-team no trade in years 3 and 4, years 5 and 6, it goes down to Got it, got it, yeah. I I messed that up. All right. Yeah. So, um, the other thing to note about this deal, majority of the salary is signing bonuses. So, it's not like he's getting paid over $6 million in straight-up base salary. Right. But, $6 million a year is still $6 million a year. Yeah. And he's getting that in years 1, 4, and 6. To be precise, $6.1 million. Uh, and in the final four seasons of this deal, he would have been an eligible unrestricted free agent. Um, and you're basing this off of what? One good playoff? Yeah. Like, uh, I, it, it's, it's, it's a little too soon because even in his career year, he wasn't a 20-goal scorer. He didn't get 40 points. So you're just hoping you put him in the top line and he just likes the place on fire. Yep. Um, this could easily turn into a Brad Marchand, but it could also turn into a David Clarkson. Right. Hopefully with a lot less injuries. But I, I get why you have a guy like Tom Wilson there. You have a guy like Tom Wilson to make Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Taylor Hall, and Claude Giroux absolutely get red in the face. Right. He is there to tick people off. And he's there to tick people off in a Metro division that is so highly contested. There are no slouches. Every battle is a war. And it's basically, for the most part, going to be an offensive slugfest on paper. There's a lot of good teams with good offenses there, except maybe the New York Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Everyone else is loaded offensively. Yeah. But... You can find guys that can get under people's skin for less than five or six million per year, which is, I believe, the point that you're getting towards. And just to add more um, salt to the wound of uh, all the Tom Wilson uh, fans that think he is worth this kind of money. I found this chart from Jeff Valetti on Twitter, at Jeff Valetti, V-E-I. L-L-E-T-T-E on Twitter from July 29th. It shows a list of 30 forwards that are cap comparables to Tom Wilson's new contract. Tom's was in the middle of the pack as far as average annual value is concerned. He was near the top in term. And the overall value, the total millions of dollars over the stretch of that contract, was just outside the top five. Yet he was one of the lowest in points per game in years one, two, three, and even his career year. But I'm going to give him some hope. The one positive takeaway was that Sean Couturier's point per game in his career year before signing his new deal was around the same as Tom Wilson. Yep. And look at the season he had for Philly last year. True. So I guess there's, there's that smidgen of hope that this could work out but if it doesn't, this could really blow up in Washington's face. Yeah, and I guess there is, like, the aspect that, you know, he did have 15 points in 21 games in the playoffs. That's not nothing to sneeze yeah. at. You know, he is known for hitting. So that's also, like, you know, there is some value to hitting a lot of players and stuff like that. 
Um, and, you know, he definitely has questionable hits in his uh, history. And also, I'm looking here, according to the, so the NHL Network did a fan vote, um, and they uh, asked fans their top 20 wingers, favorite wingers. Yeah. Um, so the first one was Alex Ovechkin, Kucherov, Patrick Kane, okay, he, he, at least he's skilled, he's, he has a little bit of a questionable personality, Taylor Hall, Brad Marchand was fifth here, but if you look at number 18, it's Tom Wilson. <laughs> so, uh, he's top 20, uh, uh, favorite wingers, um, according to fans. Uh, yeah, um, it's Tom Wilson. <laughs> But also, I should mention that top 20 got, the 20th got uh, Jake Ferdinand, so I feel like there are some trolls out there. Um, but it, uh, I, I did find this that somewhat interesting that they had Tom Wilson at high. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, there, back to hockey, there is some aspect of, like, I get that, you know, you need, a, like, an enforcer in, the, in this sense, but I feel like in this league, it's the NHL is more focused on speed and skill versus like toughness and intimidation, and I think that's one of the more reasons why I feel like this isn't a great contract if you're just getting him just for his toughness factor, um, which he definitely has, but like he he doesn't have he hasn't proven yet that he's skillful enough. Um, or speedy enough to uh, muster up that five million a year um, yet, but I, you know, I I am prepared to be proven wrong. I just I just don't see it. Um, all right, let's go to the next one, Ryan Ellis. So this is another one contract, just like uh, John Gibson, where it's going to start next season. Actually, this okay, Ryan Ellis, eight years, six point two five million. I should mention that uh, Ryan Ellis missed half the season last year, um, and he is 27 years old. 44 games played, uh, he had 32 points, um, and this is also on a team that also has P.K. Subban and Roman Yossi and Matthias Ekholm. So he's like, Ryan Ellis is like their third best defenseman. It seems like a lot just for that, but at the same time, it's like, the, their defenseman depth is one of the reasons why the the Predators are the one of the elite teams in the league. So you kind of it is a good point to lock him up like that, but um, it still feels kind of strange to sign another defenseman to uh, six point two five million for eight years when you have a guy like PK Suman, when you have a guy like Roman Yossi. Um, you know, like, it, it feels kind of weird to pay him that much um, just based off of the fact that you have those two other really good defensemen. Yeah, but the one thing that I really like about this deal, not a single no-move, not a single no-trade clause in sight in any of those eight years. Yeah, I guess that that is fair. But, like, let's say Ryan Ellis does struggle a bit who's going to want to take that contract. So you're like banking that he's going to be consistent. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm just saying that if he does struggle, you'll look at Ryan Ellis right now. 
the argument could be made that he's a top defender, at the very least a top two defender on a lot of other NHL teams. Yeah. Nashville has got three um, top pairing defensemen right now on their roster. Right. The fact that Ryan Ellis is not on a no-trade clause or no-move clause, if he starts to struggle and there's a team out there willing to take a chance on him, you could still get a pretty darn good return for Ryan Ellis and still keep guys like Yossi and Subban in the fold. And this is what good teams do. Good teams are able to stay good for many years to come based on the moves that they've made. The fact that they were able to get Ryan Ellis signed to an eight-year extension and not have any no-move or no-trades binding them is huge because they can trade Ryan Ellis. If it ever comes to that, they can trade him anywhere they want. Yeah, He doesn't have to waive anything. You have so many possibilities at your disposal. So that, in my opinion, is a win right there. By signing Ryan Ellis to this contract, you risk... You, you don't risk losing him to free agency, especially if it's to a central division opponent, because the central division is one of the toughest in hockey. As we've said over the past yeah. couple of years, it continues to be one of the toughest in hockey. The fact that you didn't lose Ryan Ellis, that's your game, because he's not going to the other guys. And you're keeping him in the fold. So the Preds don't get weaker. That's another win. And... The fact is, since P.K. Subban came to Nashville, only P.K. and Yossi have outscored Ellis amongst Predators' defenders. Right. And as a matter of fact, Ellis is tied for 12th in goals and 35th in points amongst defensemen since the start of the 2016-2017 season. And his points per game rate is the 17th best mark amongst blue liners to skate in at least 41 games over the past two campaigns. That in an article from the Hockey News. So I, I could go on and on about how good Ryan Ellis is uh, offensively, but not only is he good on the offensive side, he is also good on the defensive side. Um, when it comes to total ice time per game over the past two years, he's near the top 20 amongst NHL defenders. Uh, over the past two campaigns, like I said, penalty kill time on ice average, two minutes, 39 seconds. That puts him in the top 30. And amongst 161 NHL defensemen who have played at least 1,500 minutes at 5-on-5 over the past two years, he ranks 8th with a 58.2 goals for Corsi percentage. So there are a lot of stats out there that suggest Ryan Ellis is crucial to the success of the Nashville Predators. He is not the face of the Nashville Predators, I think Roman Yossi or P.K. Subban would probably be in that department. Or Forsberg, but yeah. But, yeah, but he definitely makes the Nashville Predators a better team as opposed to when he's off of it. And yeah. when you look at what he was able to do, nine goals and 32 points in, like, just over 40 games last year, if you put that in a full 82-game season, that's a 60-70 to 70 point scoring defenseman. Yeah, I guess it's it's just this contract's only weird just because Ellis is the Predators' third best defenseman. It's not like it's not even close. So, so that's a lot just considering that. Um, but I guess from, from what you're saying is that like 
a guy of Ryan Ellis's caliber is are hard to come by. Um, defensemen, it's particularly so. I guess in that sense, it's good to lock him up long term like that. But at the same time, it still seems so strange to like to pay him six million just because, even though he's their third, you know, he's their third best defenseman and will be for the time being. So. Um, I would make the KFC would get a lot more on the open market. Yeah, no, I agree too, and it, like, and so that's why I feel like it's strange. Like, if I'm Ryan Ellis, I'd be like, "Well, wait a second, I can, I like, I love PK Subban, I love Nashville, I'm sure he does, um, but or I love Roman Yossi, but I could be making so much more money somewhere else, and I could be a top, I could be the guy somewhere else as well, so." Maybe there is some. I mean, maybe there is an aspect that he just likes Nashville a lot, um, and he doesn't want to move. But it's just I don't know. I, I I feel like it's a little bit too much, just considering the fact, just the situation where, because now I just consider Ryan Ellis a depth. Like he's a very good depth defenseman, but like he could be a top top pairing defenseman in another you know in another team. So I don't know. I, 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 that's so. I guess for once we finally disagree on something. <laughs> well, here's a quote from Ryan Ellis uh, shortly after signing the contract. "Quote: Obviously, the money is great, but being able to stay in Nashville and live there okay. was the number one priority. Hopefully, we can chase down some cups in the future. I wanted something that was fair, but didn't want to break the bank so that we could keep all these guys together." We're really building something here. It started way back in the draft. It was a long time coming, but we have many great years ahead of making a run at the Cup, end quote. Okay, so I guess, all right, now I feel like a jerk. But yeah, <laughs> I guess, so I guess it just shows that he's just a teen guy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Also, I'm looking here on Cap Friendly. Did you know that Roman Yossi is making $4 million for the next yeah, two years? Yeah, and he's due for a new contract in two years, which is another point that should be noted with Ryan Ellis getting signed to this contract extension. Now everyone's going to think about, okay, if Ryan Ellis is worth this amount of money, how yeah. much are they going to be paying Roman Yossi? Yeah. And PK and Subban is probably going to be over 8 million. Well, least. and Subban's making 9 million. So yeah. like, you know, you could argue that Yossi is better than Subban. So I feel like, just in terms of comparables, I don't know. I, I, he may also be making nine million. Um, and that's why I emphasize how important the fact that there's no moves and no trades in this deal. Yeah. Because if they have to trade somebody on a big contract defensively, and it's not Yossi or Subban, Brian Ellis is probably going to be the guy that's going to get you the most return. True. Which. Again, the fact there's no moves or no trades in that deal, you can trade them anywhere. Yeah, true. I, I, I was just astonished that Yossi is making $4 million. That's, that's yeah. like the, that's the contract. That David Poyle is good at managing hockey teams. And, uh, that's the best contract in hockey by a long shot. Um, yeah. Although I guess he signed this uh, in 2013, uh, so I, I guess <laughs> the... Poyle knew what he was doing, uh, of course. It, was kind of, it, it kind of reminds me like the John Klingberg contract that yeah. he signed a couple years ago with Dallas. You know, at, at the time, you know, oh, that's a lot of money, but, you know, if he 
goes to like a level where he scores like 50 to 70 points a year, that's right. going to look like a steal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I just, I'm looking here, John Klingberg's making $4 million. The other crazy one, is, speaking of which, is Tyler Sagan's making $5 million, um, speaking of the stars. But yeah, so that that's another good deal for them. There's going to be a lot of solid NHL free agents. I hope they don't sign them all by July 1st. Yeah. At least at least give us five big names. Okay? Well, actually, that was going to be my next... Uh, well, for, that, that is a good segue to their next one. But I do want to mention that I do f- find that this John Tavares... Um, you know, go actually going to Toronto and this like you know Eric Carlson news kind of maybe the Ducks and the Predators are like all right we should probably look into the future just based off of yeah. what happens with Tavares and what might happen with Eric Carlson they're like I think they we want to we don't want to worry were, about this at yeah. the same time I think it just added on to the urgency and of course yeah. you bring up Eric Carlson it's just like oh great. It, well, if, if we miss out on girls, at least we can get this. Oh, wait, he's gone now. Yeah. So um, that's another plan B that's off the books. Yeah, this is a this is actually even better segue that I have now. Because we're talking about the Senators uh, for the next two times. Uh, so Cody Cece and Mark Stone both get, uh, both get one-year deals. Uh, Mark Stone gets a uh, contract of... Seven point three five million. Cody CC gets four point three million. Um, Stone um, was injured for part of the year, but he was still, he still had an amazing year. Even still, he had uh, he only played in fifty eight games, but he had sixty two points and twenty goals still. So, so in sixty that means in like about sixty games, he had more than a point per game. Um. And then Cody CC, which is a little bit questionable, um, but he is a decent defensive defenseman too. But uh, he had uh, 19 points in 82 games. Who um, was an asking? It was funny too because it was laughable because he was like asking for like seven million in arbitration, um, and everyone and the Senators only wanted like four million or something like that. So it's just crazy to that. Um, and then also. Uh, your senators um, have a lot of people who are going to be UFAs next year. Uh, if uh, Mark Stone, Duchesne, uh, Ryan Zingle, Tom Pyatt, uh, Colin White's going to be an RFA, Marcus Pavardi, Paul Carey, Max McCormick, of course, Eric Carlson, uh, Chris Weinman, and then uh, Cody Cece is uh, going to be an RFA, and Christian Wolanin is going to be a RFA, um, so that's a lot of UFAs that are gonna <laughs> for the uh, the Senators, which I guess is a good thing because then you can like you know trade these players away during the deadline. But at the same time, it's like um, um, you know Duchesne, Carlson, and a Stone are a big part of their you know the team the team's core. Um, next season, so it's it's going to be wild um, to see what's going to happen there. <laughs> you know, I'm just waiting for the part where it doesn't get worse. Yeah. Because surely, surely to God, at some point, they're just like, it, everyone's like, well, at least it can't get any worse. And then it does. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
I actually, I just started looking at my phone and the, the article, the notification says, Eric Carlson could be headed west in late summer trade. So now you have that to worry about. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> um, but the, <laughs> sorry. Did it say where? It did not say where. It's, it's, it's a rumor at this point. I think it's just more of, of a speculation article right now. But, um. Most likely destinations appear to be Western Conference. There's also belief Vancouver has stepped in to see if it's a match, according to L.A. Freeman. They're probably going to be one of those teams that takes on a bad contract. There's no way they get Eric Carlson. Well, why would no Eric Carlson even want to go to Vancouver? That doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah, why? <laughs> um, I guess, I, I, I know Besser and Pedersen are supposed to be you know, uh, and Pedersen's supposed to be something, but, like, I don't know, why would Eric Carlson do that? Uh, but, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, but, yeah, I think, so, Mark Stone, um, 7 million, he is definitely worth that much. However, one year is definitely uh, weird. Um, same with Cody CC too. It's, like, 4 million seems like a lot, um, and he's going to be an RFA next summer, next season, but it's also, like, um, it's just weird uh, to me, considering that, like, he, he his asking price was, like, $7 million or $6 million or something, and he's definitely not worth that. So it's, it's just, like, I don't know, it feels like he was just trying to take advantage of the arbitration hearing, um, and, you know, just trying to get more than what he was worth, and uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is something to, like, just the players have had it with, uh, with Melnick, and they're just trying to screw with the cap now, or something. But um, yeah. So so let's let's dissect this together. Let's start with Cody CC. Okay. Sens asked for three point three five million days before the hearing. Cody right. CC camp response was six million. So Cody CC wants to be paid more That's than right. Jacob Truba, who had to sell for an arbitration ruling over five million dollars. Yep. <laughs> I think the Sens were right on the money. That is about as much. Three point three five million. Yeah. That's what I'd be willing to pay for Cody Cece right now. Six million per year is a delusional ask when you look at the stats. He's going to be making four point three million this year, by the way. So again, uh, setting yourself way too high and getting more than what the team uh, thought you were worth. I, I guess that worked for Cody Cece, and it worked for Mars Stone to an extent as well. Anyways, so Cody Cece. Next year, he's an RFA with arbitration rights. So they basically just uh, delay the inevitable for the next 12 months. If you want a contract of, say, Rasmus Ristolainen's caliber, you have to score 40-plus points a year, which Ristolainen has done three times already. In fact, he's done it in three straight years. Cody CC has 36 points over his past two years combined, never gotten more than 30 in a single NHL campaign. That is not a top-20 defenseman in the NHL. And if you think that is pretty bad there's so much more his best year in 2015-16 where he got 10 goals and 26 points that turned out to be the only season to date in which Cody Cece was not a minus player he was a minus 27 this past year his worst as an NHLer he turned the puck over on 16.4 percent of his defensive zone possessions last year. I know, bad team. That ranked him 232nd out of 272 
qualified defenseman, but it was third best among Sens defensemen. Yeah. And yet Cody CC is making more money than John Klingberg, Roman Yossi, and Ryan Ellis this year, and almost as much as Shane the Friendly Ghost Bear. But this is why the Sens signed him. Cody CC might be all they have by the end of the year. Because if they trade Eric Carlson, the two highest paid defensemen next year will be Cody CC and Dion Phaneuf. And one of them plays in Los Angeles. The simple fact is the Sens can't rush Thomas Shabbat. They can't rush Jacob Bernard Docker, who they just drafted. I think they've already rushed Cody to an extent. We're starting to see the negatives of that, in my opinion. So Ottawa's got to ride this out, no matter what. they got no choice. But either way you slice it, Cody CC is certainly not worth $6 million a year. I don't think he's worth the $4.3 million he was awarded. I think all of this happened because he had the upper hand. He was an arbitrary RFA. He took advantage of it. If he was a free agent and he asked for that kind of money, there would be a lot of teams that would just shut the conversation down right then and there. He is not on Petrangelo's level, or Eric Carlson's, or P.K. Subban's, or Dowdy's, or Bufflin's, or Hedman's. All those guys are making upwards of $6 million per year. And he might be a top-20 defense, uh, defenseman uh, in minutes played, and he might be a top-two defenseman on the Sens in that category uh, amongst defenders, but the rest of the numbers don't show that Cody Cece's a top-20 defenseman. If you're a top-20 defenseman, you need to put up great numbers, not just good numbers. And I wouldn't even classify CC's numbers as average. So I wholeheartedly agree with the Ottawa Senators when they came into the pre-arbitration discussion with $3.35 million. As much as they like him and as much as he is a local guy and as much as I'm sure he's liked and respected around the hockey community in Ottawa, yeah. $6 million is way more than what I would have come up with. Yep. And I think the Sens were just about right on the money there. I don't I don't know what you think, but... No, I, no, I, I agree. CC got overpaid there. Yeah, I agree. I think $6 million is way over... I, I, <laughs> I guess I messed up the numbers. I thought he asked for seven million, which would even been even more well, crazy. Be more yeah, no, no, he asked for no, no, he asked for six million. Yeah, I think that was ridiculous. But um, it was true. It was true. But that asked yeah. for seven million in his. But not. But like, I don't, I don't want to discredit Shasela. He, like he's a terrible player because he's not necessarily, um, and he could be. You know, especially if Eric Carlson's gone, they probably need more defensive guys and two way players like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he, I'm looking at his stats right now. He, his highest scoring season was 26 points um, in 75 games um, for a defenseman. That's, that's okay. It's not great, though. Um, so it's like, why? Like, it, it seems crazy to me to think that he's worth $6 million. Um, I know he blocks a lot and he hits a lot, but um, there, there, <laughs> there is more to that than than just those two things. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so let, let's let's uh, move on to Mark Stone then. Do you think uh, the team coming in with uh, $5 million, uh, before the arbitration hearing, do you think that was a little low for Mark Stone? Um, yeah, I think so. 
Um, what, what would what would you have suggested? It's tough for me to think of how much his value is. I think they did get a get it right at least, uh, except for the the one year thing. I don't like that too much, but seven point three five seems about right to me. Um, you know this this guy has been one of the best centers forwards, if not the best centers forwards. Um, um, when he's been playing, so. Yeah, I, I think seven million seems about right. Maybe eight million. Um, I don't know. I think somewhere in that range is is about right. Yeah, I, I think seven point three five million um, uh, was was a good deal for Mark Stone in the sense to sign. I would have started off with six point five million, mostly yeah. because you never really start with your best offer, like we said in the William Carlson situation. Right. Um, and if the arbitrator sided with Mark Stone and gave him nine million dollars. Then good luck trying to keep Mark Stone and Eric Carlson together next year, or right. even one of them. Or do same, um, yeah. Especially if they live up to that kind of money. So I think yeah. they were wise to sign the seven point three five million. I think that's good for now. And I, I really do think Mark Stone is kind of worth seven point three five million. Yep. Uh, he might not be a top twenty player in the league offensively, but he's one of the best two way forwards in the game right now for sure. Um, in 2014-2015, he had 98 takeaways. Um, he was tied with Ryan O'Reilly for first in that uh, stat. 128 takeaways the next year. Sends with the playoffs. Leads the entire NHL in takeaways. Following year, 96 takeaways. Still led the NHL. And while he had less than 60 takeaways last year and was not near the top 20, he uh, was 30th in the league. Tied with Austin Matthews for 59 takeaways. Austin Matthews, on a rock-solid lease offense that has a lot of youth and speed, had as many steals as Mark Stone did in what can only be described as a circus act offense in Ottawa. And Stone only played in 58 games. He still got 62 points, still led all sense forwards. I believe uh, he was the top scorer on the team as well. Uh, 1.38 scoring chances on net per game, 14.8 offensive zone passes completed per game, both of which were first among Sens skaters. And of the 95 goals he scored in his NHL career, 15 of them have been game winners. Four of those have been overtime winners. And on a year where everyone was pretty much a minus player, March Stone was a plus nine. And he got 19 goals and 50 points on even strength. So, Mark Stone has done basically everything in his power to be worth that kind of money. And it's really going to suck because with this contract, it's going to be next to impossible with the way things are going right now for the sense to keep Mark Stone and Eric Carlson on their team. Yeah. And I think it's more important to keep Mark Stone because if Eric Carlson leaves, which is probably likely to happen, Mark Stone is the guy that you want to be your captain. He has got those abilities based on takeaways, based on hard work. Every single shift, this guy's working hard. It doesn't matter if they're up by two goals or down by five. This guy is always working hard, always trying his best, trying to help his team, and trying to get them wins. He might not have the offensive flair that Crosby possesses to make him worth more than $10 million a year, but Mark Stone does a lot of things right. He... Uh, is a 20-goal scorer, he's reliable, 
And yeah. now that Mike Hoffman is gone, other than Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone is probably going to be the most relied source of offense for the Ottawa Senators up front. Yeah. So oh, there you go. That, that, that is what makes Mark Stone so valuable, is that as these changes continue uh, to come and go in Ottawa, Mark Stone's value continues to go up. Yeah, my big my big concern about this contract in particular is just the fact that Matt Duchesne also is going to be a free agent next year, and yeah. Eric Carlson's going to be a free agent next year. Yeah. So, so it's just it's just like crazy that like you don't have not one, not two, but three like difference makers who are going to be free agents next year. Um, Having said that, you could probably get a haul for all three of those guys. Um, so if you were set, like you and the Senators don't have their first round pick this year, um, you know you also have Brady Kachuk who might make a, you know might make the leap this year. So so you have that kind of stuff. So you could like potentially get three first round picks um, off of those guys somehow and just like completely start over or something like that. But at the same time, it's just, it just seems crazy to me that like you have the, like your two best forwards and your best defensemen, not just your best defenseman, your like franchise changing defensemen, um, all becoming free agents next year. It just seems like it's like, it almost feels like Pierre Dorian was like, Oh, we'll just worry about it when, when it comes to that. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's now the time is now where you have you have three guys who are going to be UFAs um, and who are your three best players. So um, so that's that's just the alarming aspect of things for me. Um, and you know so that 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 is uh, also concerning, and I'm sure that is what is keeping you up at night, uh, Steve. The only way that the Sens have any shot of salvaging this and maybe even getting one best-case scenario, two of those three players back in the fold, is if they don't suck. Yeah, that's true. Winning fixes a lot of things. The Sens need to start winning. I know we're not expecting them to. I'm not expecting them to win, that's for darn sure. But you need to give something. To these guys, you need to give some positives. You may, you need to make it feel fun to be a part of this organization. In 2016, 2017, that's probably the most fun I've had as a Sens fan in an awfully long time. Yep. So if if they get some wins together, if they have a very good first half, then you know, then maybe people will start to open up a bit more of just like, you know, maybe things could work out in Ottawa. (laughs) But if the first half goes awful or even less than average, it's going to be an awfully, awfully hellish second half. I do not like the looks of next July if the Sens are a terrible team. Yeah, I think the best case, you kind of hit the nail on your head. The best case scenario is like, all three of those guys, like, actually, like, play to the best of their abilities, all because they want to get traded, and then all of a sudden they actually do have some team chemistry because they all want to leave or something. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, it's like, and then they start to, like, like wait a second, I don't want to be traded anymore. And then they, uh, 
you know, and then they sign long-term contracts. But it's it's still going to be, even if they all three of them want to stay there, it's going to be hard for me to see how, um, how all three of them are going to be on the team long-term uh, down the line. So, in fact, the longest term you have here is Bobby Ryan, whose contract expires in 2022. So that's in five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, honestly, the, I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but uh, Randy Lee um, officially resigned as the GM yep. of the AHL's Bubble Centers, the assistant GM of the Sens, uh, and uh, in their media release, uh, the Sens uh, said they would not be providing further comments at this time or even on this matter. So... If they're not giving us a lot of information on the situation, their assistant general manager, yep. or their now former assistant general manager, and granted, you know, it's a court case, you know, it's before the court, it's only so much we can say, yada, yada, yada. Yep. If they're that tight-lipped on other situations like Mark Stone and Eric Carlson and Matt Duchesne, you're just, you're basically just like, walking on hot coals the entire season, not knowing what's going to happen every single day of the week. It's the Eric Carlson trade for all we know could like, just be like, Oh, you know, trade talks have picked up today. It looks like he could be heading to the Western conference. Vancouver might be interested. And you're just like, yeah, we've heard that before. Tampa Bay almost got him, but they weren't actually close and it could be done tomorrow. Who knows? But, um, I, I think the Sens are going to play very, very close to their chest, and if it's a bad year, um, that's probably not going to be good for right. a, a lot of Sens fans that um, still give a darn about this team. Like, you, you, you look at their Sens attendance woes, all the people saying, oh, the Sens fans don't care about their team, and their yeah. team is absolute trash, and, you know, they should just move them or whatever. All those play, all of those players that still want to play for this team, all of those fans that still want to come out and support this team, despite all this garbage that's happened over the past however many months it's been, six, seven months when things have fallen off the rails, I really feel for those people. Yep. Because those people haven't given up on their team yet. And to hear people, you know, every now and again, it's, it's been a while, but to hear, um, you know, people like Don Cherry and, you know, like bashing the fans uh, in previous uh, coaches' corner segments. I really think it's unfair to the people that still give a darn about this team, the people that still go to the games, that still support this team, no matter how bad they are. I feel for those people the most because if if there's anybody that deserves all the success in the world, watching the Ottawa Senators win, it's the fans that have stuck through this team through all of these bad times, still look in the mirror and are proud to say, I'm a Sens fan. Deal with it. Yep. Um, yeah, on, on that note, I think we'll we'll end this episode here. Uh, two things to get through, though. Um, one, uh, on the Sens news, there isn't really Bruins news here, but uh, Sens news, just quickly, Brady Kachuk um, says that he is no lo- he's not going to go to BU uh, next season, um, there is a report that he could just do the nine games uh, for Ottawa and see how that happens. 
And then um, if he, you know, if he's not, if it appears that he's not ready yet, then he'll go to the OHL um, where London, the London Knights have his rights. Um, so it appears like that's going to be the plan for Brady Kachuk, which is, um, which is kind of interesting. Or I guess he could go to the AHL too. Um, if he if he wants to do that too, but um, I hope the Sens don't go down that route. Keep him in the OHL for one year. See how he does. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there is something to it. Just like you know, it's worth a shot at this point, just to like have him in the NHL, um, just to see how it how he does. Like if he's if he's doing well in the NHL, then yeah, keep him there. But yeah, if if but if worse comes to worse, just. Put him in the OHL, or just uh, even just put him in the AHL. There's nothing wrong with that either, um, per se. Just assuming that his deployment is good. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, and lastly, I forgot to mention this in our show notes, um, and I think you did too. But uh, Stan Makita died. Um, I think it was last week, um, and uh, he's he is probably one of the best. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks players of all time, um, Hall of Famer. Uh, he had one cup. He was uh, he had four four seasons where he won the Art Ross Trophy, two times winning the Lady Bing, two times winning the Hart Trophy. He had one forty six one thousand four hundred and sixty seven points in one thousand three hundred and ninety six games, um, and five hundred. And forty-one of those points were goals. So, um, yeah. Are we he, a different. Uh, what was that? I don't know. But I um, don't know. <laughs> oh, um, oh, oh, that, that, that's add, my that's my ad add, here. Add, yeah, yeah go to ahead. your point, uh, not not only um, did he win the Art Ross and the Lady Bing a bunch of times, he, I guess developed the, the style of the modern two-way forward, and he also played a role in uh, the curved stick, the banana blade in yeah. his early stages. Uh, I think part of it started with Stan Mikita, so he uh, changed the game in a lot, uh, in, in more than just one way, and uh, like you said, uh, not, not just a great player, but uh, a great personality, a, a great gentleman of the game, yeah. and uh, going to be missed by a lot of people. Yep, I'm <laughs> looking here. 20 seasons uh, for one team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I would say he's probably the best Blackhawk of all time. I guess you could make a case for Bobby Hull, but um, it seems like Stan Makita is, is, is definitely um, up there. Um, but, yeah, uh, 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 thoughts go out to all the family and friends who actually knew him. Um, and I think we're going to end on that note. Uh, we could talk about more signings, but we'll, we'll do that at a later date. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace M Podcast, Lace E-M Podcast on Twitter. We have oh, yeah. a Facebook page uh, at Lace Em Up, which uh, primarily um, we only post podcasts on there. If you want more hockey news throughout the week, uh, Twitter page is probably the place to be. Yep. We're also on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes, I think. And yeah, I think we also so. have a WordPress blog that I've been negligent to update, but plan to do so at some point. Um, so when we have some new articles there, we will uh, keep you in the loop on that. We will talk again in episode 135 of the Lace Up Podcast.
Yep, I forgot to do the social media, so thanks for doing that. Um, yep, uh, talk to you later.